This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. Today's One Verse Podcast is rated PG-13. Well, or maybe PG. (laughs) I think some of the ratings have changed over the last years. This would have been PG-13 in the 1980s. Today's rating, it's PG, I suppose. Either way, (laughs) uh, when you hear what I'm talking about, though, in today's episode, you might be encouraged by the end of it to gather your children around and uh, have them listen to this episode with you as well. It will spark some questions, some uncomfortable questions, maybe. Uh, but uh, this this episode might encourage you to have, you know, that talk with your son or daughter. Uh, this episode might just provide the encouragement you need to stop being ashamed and afraid about having that talk and instead revel and rejoice in one of God's greatest gifts to humankind and stop hiding in the shadows about it. Stop living in fear. Instead, go forth, forth uh, boldly. Naked and Unafraid. That's the title of this podcast based on that TV show, Naked and Afraid, if you've ever watched that. I've seen it once or twice. Sort of interesting. Anyway, not literally, though. I don't want you to go forward naked and unafraid. (laughs) Uh, We'll be talking about that in today's podcast episode as we look at Genesis 2.25. Now, uh, I do want you to know as we go into this, if you sort of are curious more about the topic I'm discussing today... Please go go subscribe to the Theology.fm podcast. We don't talk about this issue in all of the podcasts over there, but I'm going to be publishing one in a week or two from uh, these other two guys, Darren and Hans from the Free Believers Network, who had a similar discussion on their podcast recently. So I'll be republishing the, that discussion on the Theology.fm podcast. And uh, so if you're interested in this topic, make, make sure you subscribe to that podcast and you'll get that discussion here in a week or two. Uh, you can go to theology.fm to learn more about that or simply subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is you subscribe to podcasts. Just uh, go and search for theology.fm and it will show up there. That will work as well. Sounds good? We'll see you there as well. Okay, so Genesis 2.25, I got to tell you, I really struggled preparing this podcast episode. I wrote and I studied and I wrote and I wrote and I studied and I studied and I knew it was going to go too long, but I didn't realize how long. By the time all was said and done, I had enough information for, I don't know, four or five podcast episodes. I had way too much. There was so much I wanted to say about this verse. I just could simply couldn't for lack of time. And you might say, what? Here's the verse. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. <laughs> I literally got four or five podcast episodes of information out of this one verse. Uh, and I just, I thought about, you know, I could do three or four episodes maybe. And I finally thought, no, I, I got to move on. I really want to get into chapter three. So I'm going to Basically, most of what I studied prepared to say, I just deleted. And you might say, Jeremy, what sorts of things are you deleted? Well, like, for example, I wanted to talk about how this is a hinge verse. I've talked about hinge verses before. 
they sort of summarize everything that has gone before and introduces what's going to come next. Uh, Genesis 2.25 is one of those hinge verses. In fact, lots of people think that it fits better with chapter 3 than it does with chapter 2, but uh, I think it, it goes best with both. So, both. And I was going to show why, that's, uh, why it summarizes what we've seen in chapter 2 and why it looks forward. It almost serves as a title for what we see in chapter 3. I, I was going to talk about that, but, you know, I think I'll be able to bring some of that out as we work our way through chapter 3. So that's why I deleted all of that. And then I really wanted to focus on the connection between Genesis 2.25 and Genesis 3.1. If you look in Genesis 3.1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And you might say, well, I don't see any connection there. Yeah, but in the Hebrew, that word crafty there is, is almost nearly identical to the word naked in Genesis 2.25. And that's very, very interesting uh, both Adam and Eve were naked, and they were not ashamed. And then Genesis 3.1 says, now the serpent was more naked, in a sense. All right, so uh, the words there are almost identical, and I was going to talk an awful lot about that. I might be able to bring up some of that in uh, when we look at Genesis 3.1. I think next week we're going to do a, a summary episode of Genesis 2, sort of like I did at the end of Genesis 1. That way people can sort of get caught up if they've missed some episodes. So I'll probably I'll do that, and then two weeks we'll look at Genesis 3.1, so maybe I can bring up some of that then. I also wanted to go over to 2 Corinthians 5, 1-8. Paul is talking there, uh, writing there, and I think that he has Genesis 2-3 in mind there, and it's really strange sort of how he talks about this future resurrection of our bodies and how we're, we're sort of naked now, uh, and we long to be clothed with immortality. So uh, I think that he has Genesis 2.25 in mind when Paul writes there. Uh, and then also in Romans 5, there's, a, there's lots of parallels between Romans 5 and Genesis 3. But again, I, I think I can share some of that as we work our way through Genesis 3. So I took that out. I really wanted to spend a lot of time focusing on this word ashamed. At the end of Genesis 2.25, I, uh, I did my master's thesis on the cultural values of honor and shame in Scripture, and I believe, I'm, I'm convinced, that if we understood honor and shame, the, those cultural values, which were prominent in Middle Eastern ancient cultures, even in some Middle Eastern cultures today, they're, they're, they're most prominent in agrarian cultures, we're an industrial culture, so we have um, values of individualism and, and sort of a more materialistic, greed-centered values. Uh, that's not the way the Bible, anybody living in biblical times, uh, those were not their values. They had honor and shame. So I really wanted to talk about that word ashamed there and how it helps us understand what's going on in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, and four, in fact, the entire Bible, really. But again, <laughs> I had so much to share there, I just couldn't. I ended up cutting it all out. And all of those issues about Genesis 2.25, I just simply can't say anything more about. I didn't have time. So, you might say, well, Jeremy, what's left? What else is there to talk about? What's left? Well, the one thing that is left to talk about is sort of the one thing that I really want this One Verse podcast to focus on as we're going forward, and it's the religious and cultural context of this verse, and how we Christians have often misunderstood, misused, even abused these sorts of verses, uh, which has 
caused us or led us to use verses to be in bondage to religion, to shackle us, chain us to a, a certain way of living and thinking about life and theology in Scripture that, that causes us to live in chains, in bondage, even in a prison of sorts. And so I want to sort of explain the text in a way that hopefully will liberate you from those chains, from that bondage, from that prison, that, that religious prison that you find us with. Okay, so, so that's what we're going to look at today in Genesis 2.25. And... Um, the way I want to go about this is, is invite you to read Genesis 2.25 as if it were not found in the Bible at all. If you were to, to pick up any novel, or let's say you're watching a movie, or, or you know reading a book, or having a conversation with your friends, I don't really care what context it's in, but you know just pick anything. And you read this verse and some of the surrounding verses in any other context, or you heard them, watched them, whatever, in any other context, okay? Forget the Bible, that's what I'm saying. Forget the Bible just for a second. And 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 think about this statement in any other context. So, all right, you have this TV show, this conversation, this novel, whatever, in mind, and you heard or read this. And they were both naked, the man and the woman. And they were not ashamed. Okay, so you read that in a novel, you heard that, you know, you saw it on a TV show or something. What is it that goes through your mind? Come on, <laughs> it's okay. What are you thinking about when you imagine two people naked and without any shame? Okay, now, you might say, Jeremy, I don't like where you're going with this. Well, remember what we've seen up to this point, all right? In the context here, okay, back to the Bible a little bit, but not sort of. Imagine the context in any other setting other than the Bible. We've seen in this context that there are these sexual innuendos all over the place, okay? Just with this word flesh, uh, with, with uh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, uh, just just sort of the excitement in Adam's voice as he sees the woman for the first time. Uh, even earlier in the passage where God instructs the man and the woman to be fruitful and multiply. It's the very first instruction of God to humans to be fruitful and multiply. We saw that in a previous podcast episode. Okay, so again, you take this context and put it anywhere else in all of culture, literature, poetry, conversations, art, music, movies, whatever. And I, I think you're beginning to get the picture of what's going on here. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> yes, let your mind go into the gutter a little bit. Okay? It's what we're thinking. We're all thinking it. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about that. And that's the issue here. Because are you embarrassed? Are you thinking of turning on the off the podcast episode because, oh, he shouldn't be talking about this? Or are you thinking of making sure your children are out of, you know, ear, ear earshot or whatever the word is so they can't hear what we're talking about? Look, I'm a little embarrassed to be talking about this in a podcast episode. I mean, frankly, I'm glad that I'm sitting here talking into a microphone instead of sitting in front of you, you know, around a kitchen table, around a living room, talking about this face-to-face. That would be a little more embarrassing for both of us. 
But isn't that strange? That's exactly the point. Embarrassment. We're both a little embarrassed. Where did that come from? Why is it that when we think of two people naked together, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, why is it that we get embarrassed? Why is it that we think it's inappropriate to talk about such things? Why do we think it's shameful? Why do we get ashamed to talk about these things? You notice that key word there at the end? They were naked, they were together, and they were not ashamed. But we're ashamed. We're so ashamed that some people even get upset to suggest that, oh, Scripture shouldn't be talking about such things. Well, go read Song of Solomon sometime, and don't think it's about Jesus' love for the church. It isn't. <laughs> Look, I, God talks about this in God's holy book, right? It's all over the place, as I've mentioned over and over before. It's even here in Genesis, frequently in these opening chapters of Genesis. Okay, so don't think that by talking about sex, we're dragging the Bible down into the gutter. Right? Somewhere along the way, you and I have become ashamed to talk about the things that the Bible and this first couple, Adam and Eve, were not ashamed of. We we have taken what God created and which God declared to be very good, and we have made it shameful to even discuss or talk about. Now, part of this is because of fear. And we're going to talk about this more when we get into Genesis chapter 3, where this fear came from. Uh, but, But notice that the fear and that shame came as a consequence of eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, You can even, after Adam Adam and Eve eat from that tree, the forbidden tree, they go and hide in the forest. That's in Genesis 3.10. All right, so, uh, but if there had been no shame, then there would be no fear. And so as soon as shame enters, fear enters also. Uh, And ever since that event, that's where this came from, really. Ever since that event, the entire message of God, though, we'll we'll see this as we go go through Genesis chapter 3, although they were ashamed and they were afraid, the message of God was, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing really has changed. We think it's changed, but from God's perspective, Nothing has changed. From God's perspective, and really the entire message of the Bible, all the way through Scripture, is this. I know you're afraid. I know you're ashamed. Don't be. There's nothing to be afraid of. This God says, I am not angry at you. I love you. I forgive you. I accept you. You can stand before me naked and exposed, unafraid, unashamed. John, in his first epistle, First John, he says there's no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. In other words, what he's saying is there's no punishment in love either. Uh, you might be want, want to read a lot more about this. I write some about it in my blog, also in my book, The Atonement of God, just about how there is no fear in love and God doesn't punish sin. All right, so if these ideas are challenging to you, go get a copy of the book, read it. You'll see 
I explain a lot more in the book. But here's the point from Genesis 2.25. You and I are often ashamed of talking about sex, you know, seeing sex in the Bible. Uh, We're afraid that people will, part of this, I think, is we're afraid that people will see into our own hearts and minds and reject us. Oh, people only saw what I thought about. They would hate me. They would reject me. You know, they, they would not want to be around me anymore. So there's that fear, there's that shame there. Uh, but after Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree, Adam and Eve also felt that shame. They felt they were afraid of being rejected by God and being rejected by each other. And so they hid. And again, we'll talk about this as we get into Genesis chapter 3, but that's where you and I are right now. If we are afraid and ashamed to talk about this, then we are in the same exact place Adam and Eve were at when they hid and when they were ashamed. We humans have been hiding and we've been ashamed ever since. And God's task, God's message from the very beginning has been to liberate us from that fear and shame, to free us from it. And there's lots of places of shame and fear that we live in. But one of those places is this, uh, it was, is within the marriage relationship. Right? This, this, even the sex that's within the marriage relationship. Um, and look, here's really the point. One of the reasons that there is so much shame and fear surrounding sex is because... We are afraid to openly and honestly talk about it in our homes and in our churches. Here's the thing. We are sexual creatures. God made us, we've seen from the beginning, the very first command, be fruitful and multiply. Talked about that in one of the podcast episodes. And because of that, because this is what God made us for, you know, we say, oh, it's because the culture is always, you know, it's a sexualized culture. Well, that's true. But the, the reason is because God made us. Which came first? God made us to be this way or the culture made us to be this way? Well, the Bible says we think about sex a lot because the Bible made us to be this way. Okay? And so if we cannot talk about it openly and honestly, then what that means is that a large portion of our life about who God made us to be is filled with shameful shadows and fear of being found out. And it is from this position of shame and fear that sin comes. Did you, did you know that? Yeah, we're going to see this in Genesis chapter 3 and then moving into Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we Christians often talk about the first sin being the sin of Adam and Eve eating from the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil. But did you know that sin is not mentioned in Genesis chapter 3? The word sin, look for it. It's not found there. Sin isn't mentioned until Genesis chapter 4, when God tells Cain that sin is crouching at his door. Isn't that interesting? Where does sin come from? Well, according to Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, sin enters the scene after Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, as a result of their fear of God and their shame. Now, Later, Scripture does talk about Adam and Eve. Uh, again, this is where I was going to get into uh, Genesis, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter five. 
the sin there of, of Adam and Eve's sin, and so on and so forth. Okay, but again, I don't have time for all of that. Uh, we'll try to bring some of that up as we get into Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4. The only point is here is that in Genesis itself, sin is a result of, sin, uh, of fear and shame, not the cause of it. And there's a specific sin that is in view as we get into Genesis chapter 4 too. We'll be talking about that a lot in future episodes. All right, so what I'm trying to get at is, is here in Genesis 2.25, we're told that the man and woman were together, they were naked, and they were unashamed. And what this means, I'm suggesting, is that we also, if we are going to live the way God wants us to live, that we also need to be unashamed about who God made us to be as sexual beings. Sexual unity was a part of the life of Adam and Eve, of the man and the woman. And it was not a shameful thing. It was something beautiful. It was something beneficial. It was something good that helped brought them together so that they could become one flesh, so so that they could serve as God's image and likeness on earth. Remember, we've talked about that in the past too. The image and likeness is first and foremost uh, the man and the woman in a relationship together. Male and female, he created them. It's not them separately, but it's them together that reflects the image and the likeness of God. Now, maybe you're not convinced. You might, Jeremy, no, you're reading too much into this text. All right. Uh, Just to prove that my mind is not in the gutter here, uh, that I'm not reading sex into the text, let me point point out one thing uh, before we close out this episode. I frequently talk to you about how Moses uh, seems to be relying or referring or alluding somewhat to other creation accounts, such as the Enuma Elish and the Gilgamesh epic. So I want to read to you a a portion from the Gilgamesh epic, where the man, Enkidu, uh, the gods have created this man, and he is living with the wild animals out in the forest. Uh, He's friends with the animals, he lived with the animals, he hunted with the animals, all right. And one day, a trapper saw Enkidu. The trapper was so scared because of how glorious and amazing this man was. He almost died just seeing Enkidu come to uh, drink from this pool with all the animals. And so, the trapper asked his father um, how he could tame Enkidu. And uh, this is where we pick up in the story. I'm going to read it to you. Here's what the Gilgamesh epic says. This is part of the story. His father opened his mouth and said to the trapper, My son, in Uruk lives Gilgamesh. No one has ever prevailed against him. He is as strong as a star from the heavens. Go to Uruk. Find Gilgamesh. Extol the strength of this wild man. Ask him to give you a harlot, a wanton from the temple of love. Return with her and let her woman's power overpower this man. When next he comes down to drink at the wells, she will be there, stripped naked. And when he sees her beckoning, he will embrace her. And then the wild beasts will reject him. So in the story, the, uh, the, the trapper, uh, speak, go, he goes to Uruk and he speaks to Gilgamesh. And Gilgamesh says, yeah, that's a good plan. So uh, the, har- he gets a, the trapper gets a harlot from Gilgamesh and returns. And then I'm picking back up in the story right there. After a three days' journey, they came to the drinking hole, and there they sat down. The harlot and the trapper sat facing one another and waited for the game to come. 
For the first day and for the second day, the two sat waiting. But on the third day, the herds came. They came down to drink, and Enkidu was with them. The small wild creatures of the plain were glad of the water, and Enkidu with them, who ate grass with the gazelle and was born in the hills. And she saw him, the savage man, come from far off in the hills. The trapper spoke to her, There he is. Now, woman, make your breasts bare. Have no shame. Do not delay, but welcome his love. Let him see you naked. Let him possess your body. When he comes near, uncover yourself and lie with him. Teach him, the savage man, your women's art. For when he murmurs love to you, the wild beasts that shared his life in the hills will reject him. She was not ashamed to take him. She made herself naked and welcomed his eagerness. As he lay on her, murmuring love, she taught him the woman's art. For six days and seven nights they lay together, for Enkidu had forgotten his home in the hills. But when he was satisfied, he went back to the wild beasts. Then, when the gazelle saw him, they bolted away. When the wild creatures saw him, they fled. Enkidu would have followed, but his body was bound as though with a cord. His knees gave way. When he started to run, his swiftness was gone. And now the wild creatures had all fled away. Enkidu was grown weak, for wisdom was in him, and the thoughts of a man were in his heart. So he returned and sat down at the woman's feet and listened intently to what she said. You are wise, Enkidu. And now you have become like a god. Why do you want to run with the wild beasts in the hills? Come with me. I will take you to strong-walled Uruk, to the blessed temple of Ishtar and of Anu, of love and of heaven there Gilgamesh lives, who is very strong and like a wild bull, he lords it over men. Okay, so the story goes on from there, and I don't need to read the rest. They go to, 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 uh, to Uruk and challenge Gilgamesh. Okay. And then Gilgamesh and Enkidu become good friends. But here's the thing. Did you hear what happened? Enkidu was with the animals, very similar to what we saw here in Genesis chapter 2. God first gives animals to the man. But then, this was not enough. Uh, And in this story, though, when the woman comes, she bears herself before him. And the text is very clear, without shame. She was not ashamed. And in the text, this uh, Gilgamesh epic, they lay together for six days and seven nights, and after which time he's not able to return to the animals. And she says, that's okay, because you have now become wise. You have become like a god. I think you can probably hear and see many of the parallels between that story and what's going on here in Genesis chapter 2. We'll see some more of these in Genesis chapter 3 when um, you know what happens. The serpent comes and he says, oh... Did God really say, don't believe what God said. Eat from the tree and you can become like a God. You will become wise like a God. Very similar. So I'm, the, the Gilgamesh epics predates even the life of Moses by about a thousand years or so. It's a Babylonian creation account. And remember, Ur, I'm sorry, Abraham came out of Ur of Babylon. It's nearly, nearly certain that Abraham knew this story. And that's very, very certain. It was a very popular story at the time. Israelites were familiar with the Gilgamesh epic as well. So I think, though, that when Moses is writing this, again, he's making these, these parallels 
Not to say this is the same story, but to teach us something different about the God we serve and about why there is sexual relationships, why, why God created us as sexual beings, all right? And then the parallel here between Genesis 2.25 and the Gilgamesh epic, epic, they're very, very clear. Uh, but Moses changes it, and it's those changes that, that make the text so important. So what are some of those changes? Well, first of all, uh, obviously the Genesis account is much more concise. There's no trapper, there's fewer details, all right? But uh, regards to the man and the woman being together without shame, there's two main differences I want you to take note of. First of all, in the Gilgamesh epic, the woman's a harlot. Uh, She came from one of the temples of love from Ur. Uh, But here in Genesis 2, the woman is is a creation of God. She's taken from the side of man. And what we see from this, as I mentioned in previous podcast episodes last week, for example, and, and, and before that, this means that she is his equal partner. She is a perfect companion, suitable to him. And that's what Moses wants to emphasize. In his day, at that time, uh, women were seen as inferior, as even the possessions of men. In fact, when Enkidu and this woman, this harlot, go to Ur to challenge Gilgamesh, the reason is because Gilgamesh is having, well, uh, he's having the first night's rites with all newly married couples, the king's rights. So he was allowed to be the first one to sleep with all the newly married couples. That was a common practice in some cultures at that time. Uh, the king was the one who got to have to sleep with the woman on the first night of a marriage. Anyway, and so that's why they go and challenge Gilgamesh. But uh, again, that just shows there was no equality. The women were viewed as the possession of the man and ultimately as the possession of the king. But here in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, Moses wants to correct that. And so he shows that Adam and Eve were equal partners before God. And Adam, as the husband to Eve, he is the one who has, they share this union together without shame. They're created equal in the image and likeness of God and are both called together to rule and reign and have dominion over God's creation. So that's the first difference here and major difference it is from the very beginning The Bible is presenting the man and the woman as equal partners before God. The second main difference, though, is, and I sort of emphasize this as I I read along, uh, here in, in the Gilgamesh epic, the woman is the tempter. She is the one who tells Enkidu that he has become like a god, gained wisdom like a god. But in Genesis, as we'll see in Genesis chapter 3, the tempter is, is not the woman, but is the serpent. And so the woman is not tempting Eve with sex. Instead, sex is sanctified as a gift and blessing from God. And the serpent is the one that is tempting them. And he is then the one, the serpent is the one that sort of brings shame and fear into the relationship. And that becomes the point, I believe, out of Genesis 2.25. From the very beginning... The sexual relationship between a man and a woman was not something that was supposed to be shameful and fearful. Shame and fear comes later. And what that means then is that if we allow shame and fear to enter into the relationships we have, into even uh, the sexual conversations and sexual relationships, what that means is we are allowing Satan to bring shame and fear into that relationships. 
And what we need to do instead is be like the man and the woman as they were before the temptation of, the sat- uh, of Satan, uh, the serpent, and not think of sex as taboo, not see it as embarrassing, not see it as something shameful, not be ashamed of it. Let me put it another way. When we take something good that God has made and make it taboo and off-limits, it is then that it becomes an area of sin and shame, and it is then that the devil can then use it to cause us to sin. I think a lot of people struggle with sexual issues and sexual temptations and things today because we have become ashamed and afraid of it. But if we bring it out into the light and talk about it openly and honestly and unashamed, then it can no longer be used as a tool of darkness and shame to be used as a tool of sin. It no longer becomes um, something embarrassing and, and, and to talk about, and then it, it can no longer be used uh, as a, a tool of sin, as a tool of the devil. Look at it this way. Think of it as walking on the grass. Okay, God gives us a field of grass. He says, go have fun, walk on it, lay on it, sleep on it, enjoy the grass. Great, so we do it. But then someone comes along and puts up a sign and says, do not walk on the grass. Right? That is shame and fear entering into what the good gift God has given to us. And all of a sudden, the good gift of God becomes a bad gift. Because then we feel guilty about walking on the grass. And we feel guilty about, about thinking about the grass and looking at the grass. The grass becomes shameful. And then, because of that, because of the sign, it's, some, it's all we can think about. And it becomes an addiction. Oh, I just got to walk on the grass. I got to think about the grass. And then, oh, but I'm ashamed to think about the grass. And all the while, God is saying, no, <laughs> I didn't put up that sign. You did. Take it back down. It's a good gift. Walk on the grass, enjoy the grass, lie on the grass. It's a good gift I gave to you. In its rightful place, of course, which is in the marriage relationship. Enjoy it, appreciate it, talk about it, laugh about it, joke about it. It's a wonderful and glorious gift. And when we do that, it comes out of the shadows. It comes out of the realm of sin. And it becomes a blessing and privilege and a glorious gift from God the way God wanted it to. Now, Obviously, I'm not talking here about about grass, but about sex. And God gave it to us as a good gift to enjoy. It's a beautiful gift from God. And when it comes out of the shadows and into the light, we can then enjoy it and celebrate it without shame as God originally intended. That's all I want to talk about. That's all I wanted to say from Genesis 2.25. And I know there's a lot more I wanted to say. I just can't. I'll try to bring some of that out in future episodes as we work our way through Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4. But look, if you want to learn more about this, I do invite you to listen to that conversation by Darren and Hans. Uh, And I'm going to put it on the Theology.fm podcast, so here in a week or two. So uh, make sure you subscribe to Theology.fm podcast. Uh, And I'll air that. You can uh, see what they have to say about this very similar topic. It's interesting that they and I were were thinking about similar, along similar lines. That that podcast I heard from theirs was just two days ago, after I had already prepared this one. So it's interesting the way that works. I was really struggling with whether or not I should even say what I said in this podcast episode. And then I heard their podcast and I said, okay, I'm going for it. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening. And I hope that what you learned today from Genesis 2.25 will will help liberate you to be able to talk about these things openly, honestly, in the light of day as God intended, as a blessing as God intended. 
And I hope that as we've talked about this, you feel liberated. That this discussion of Genesis 2.25 has helped liberate another verse from the shackles of religion so that you can live without shame and without fear as God intends and desires. Thank you.